everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to talk about the Hulu TV miniseries Killing County, which is, uh, let me just read a little bit about it. In a big city with the soul of a small town in the depths of California, after a terrible shooting in a hotel makes the Ramirez family question everything they know about their city, Bakersfield. This is I feel like this is sort of a must watch, honestly. I really liked this. It's um it's pretty damning, honestly. Yeah. And it's in many ways about the victims, but it's also about police corruption. Mm-hmm. Is basically the bigger the bigger topic here. And I also know it's produced by Colin Kaepernick. Yep. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? I really liked it as well. It's three episodes, which I like. They got right to the point. Mm-hmm. As as many people who were involved, it's basically different families that end up wrapping, they wrap it into one story and they kind of bring all the parts together, which I thought was really cool. And they mm-hmm. did it very efficiently and it was very powerful because it wasn't belabored mm-hmm. that after episode three, when it's over, you're just like, wow, that, that, I mean, they just nailed it. Yeah. A lot of the information was, I mean, there was enough information to fill out the three episodes. And so like a good documentary, there was reenactments. There was a lot of demographic information. There was voiceover. There was a lot of interviews with the families of the victims. That father. Yeah. And then there were a lot of also interviews with people that were from the system. Yeah. 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 No, I think they did a really good job at even interviewing the sheriffs and the law enforcement who even admitted to getting too caught up in the system. Cause we know, you know, I, I work for, well, I work for myself, but I get hired sometimes by, <laughs> what do you work for? I work for myself. Huh? I do get hired by attorneys that will have me evaluate folks, whether they're people in uniform or civilians who have been beat up or brutally assaulted by cops or by the, the system. Mm-hmm. It is very real. I know more than I would ever love to know about Mm -hmm. the system. So, you know, when you hear people say, well, there's really good cops out there. I don't disagree with that. It's not an issue of whether there are, and I've interviewed some who have been hurt by their own system. It's, it's really the system. That's the problem. Painful all around. It's painful all around. And, and then there's just this bureaucracy that really protects. And I think that is something that the sister, so the, the main family in, in this doc are the Ramirez. Mm-hmm. is the Ramirez family. You know, this the sister, I think it's the sister at the end. So they, they lose their brother, mother and father lose their son. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But the sister at the end says, you know, at what point, or maybe it's the, it could have been um, the brother of another victim, but one of them says, you know, at what point will these officers be held accountable? Like the fact that we can, we continue to go at this rate. And I know that, you know, more recently with Tyree Nichols and some of these other cases, it's it's just, it's daily now. At what point will the system be held accountable for all of this? Because it's all hushed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does follow the Ramirez family and they, you know, tragically lost their son during a police shooting. And it turns out in the series that he was a police informant, only not documented as such. So that complicated matters for a variety of reasons. And, I mean, it's pretty frightening what they go into into this. There's no need to spoil any of that. You can go on the journey yourself. Um, none of it 
is probably very surprising to anybody who watches true crime or has followed a lot of the media over many, many decades of police corruption, but also people of color being gunned down. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that that's something that right now is absolutely or suffocated or trampled or all of the other ways or beaten up by cops because David Silva was beaten up by hogtied. A- Hogtied and then and then beaten to death by I guess eight cops for sleeping outside of a facility that would not keep him. Yeah, because he was under the influence, but also he was seen to be calm and mm-hmm. not agitated or what have you. Now, obviously, I'm not in that moment with any of these people, but yeah, from from the outside watching this documentary, it's. it seems racially it's racially motivated it's jaw-dropping it's frightening it's all the things yeah i think the the power in numbers thing is what drives me Mm. the most insane thinking about no matter how badly someone might be resisting arrest yeah that it takes that you're going to take eight officers or six officers and then, you know, now having these body cams and being able to watch and listen to what they're saying. This is not someone who's trying to protect and serve. This is someone who is abusing their power and 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 going to the level of enjoying how they're torturing the person that they're arresting. When I've worked with folks who have been incarcerated and asked them about the most traumatic experience in their history of being involved in a life of crime and arrest, they'll say the most traumatizing is the physical arrest. Mm. The other stuff is nothing compared to the arrest. Mm. I can't speak for everyone, but I know that a lot of, a lot of the clients that I interviewed would talk about how that arrest haunts them. So we think about, you know, when people say, why would you resist arrest? Because if you're a person of color, arrest doesn't mean 24 hours in an overnight jail. It could mean you never see the light of day again. It doesn't mean fairness. No. It doesn't mean justice. It doesn't mean protection. It doesn't mean protection. Exactly. It's not a, it's not a, it's very different. Yeah. I think too, you know, they did a really good job at describing for those people who are, don't live in California and don't know Bakersfield. Bakersfield is nothing like, what a lot of people perceive the state, you know, cause really Los Angeles and San Francisco and San Diego are really the only three cities that people think a lot of when they think of California, but we have a lot of very conservative. I mean, mm-hmm. San Diego is a little conservative, but we have a lot of towns in the state. It's a very large state Bakersfield being one mm-hmm. that is much more conservative. Yeah. And it's a tightly knit incestuous town of people who have been there for, and generations of families who have been there for decades, many people who immigrated over, went into farming, and it is a lot like they were describing, you know, parts of Texas, Mm -hmm. large Hispanic population that is um, very, very intensely divided by a white community that lives there. And so there's tension. Yeah. I was reading that Kern County is... You know, per the U.S. Census, the Hispanic and Latino population in the cities are is about 52%, and the white population is 31%. Mm. It's interesting. I don't know the racial makeup of the eight cops yeah. that beat him to death. I, I don't know, I don't know their either, racial yeah. makeup, but it's, it's... They didn't really go into that. No. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was wondering, yeah, okay, are you making this a white on Hispanic crime I don't think they are because they would have said it, right? Right. And they also (laughs) interviewed the Hispanic cop who, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Kevin Costner had done the movie there and all mm-hmm. that, um, who even said, hey, I got I got caught up in this. Oh, yeah. So they weren't they weren't making it a white on Hispanic crime because I don't think they could. I mm-hmm. think that probably it was a variety of racial makeups in the eight cops that beat David. And then I don't know about, you know, what uh, Jorge Ramirez went through, he, the all of the people that he was engaging in while he was being an informant for the police you know so i mean i think the the color that seems to be because of that the color that seems to be most uh amped up in this is the color blue (laughs) it's the it's the it's the police against the population story Mm -hmm. which is difficult and then exploiting shannon had mentioned that jorge jr was a an informant he had become an informant. He had been in, he had done time himself for drugs, drug related charges. And so, you know, the cops knew this and they, they were very, they, they used him, they exploited him. They weren't careful about the way that they used him. It was very negligent. It was very reckless and they were very unapologetic about it. And this poor family had to live with that lives with it. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why this was done is because Kern County is supposedly the police murder capital of the USA. That was kind of one of the things that they were, they were discussing and they were, they were explicating these crimes, but they were talking about how the history of Bakersfield is, is is important in this because they feel as if law enforcement needs to be held accountable and that more money should be put into police reform there because it's the police murder capital of the USA. Like lots and lots of people have been murdered by the police right. in this particular county. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and you know, in LA, we've always had that reputation as well. Although LA is a much bigger, much more urban city than Bakersfield. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, this, talking about the doc just as a doc, yeah. um, I really appreciated that the majority of the narrative was by the family members Mm -hmm. that, that they did have a narrator like you talked about, but Jorge Ramirez senior was, and, and then one of the sisters was really, um, they were the majority of the narrative. And then Chris Silva, um, the brother of Mm -hmm. the other who I really liked as well. Yeah. He was a big part of it. Those three really narrated the series, which I, I, this is how I love true crime to be where, and we talked about this last week and the other mm-hmm. doc is just, it changes the true crime from a, an exploitative piece to a social justice piece. Mm-hmm. And I think that for a lot of people who have issues with, well, true crime just really exploits victims and people get to live vicariously through other people's trauma. I think when it's done this way, it can be used as a social justice piece. And we know that there's consent. So I liked that a lot. Yeah. I liked that there was a lot of news and deposition clips. You know, they took a lot from the real stories. So they had the interviews that the documentary makers obviously did with family, et cetera. And, and some of the system members, but they also had news clips and they had the footage that someone recorded of David Silva being beaten. They had, mm-hmm. they had a lot of, so it kind of came off like a, like a news piece. And I know that I think it's 
ABC or NBC was a part of this. You know, okay. one of those big news uh, outlets was was part of this, along with Colin and along, you know, the other producers, et cetera. So, I liked that. I liked that there were journalists involved and some recreations, but that most of it was it was very very news like. If you like that kind of documentary, it had a lot of news and interviews with the family. Now, I wonder what the devil's advocate will be. In other words. Some people might watch this and kind of call us bleeding hearts for mm -hmm. who they might see as criminals. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of reviews of this, and of course, some of it was very much like these victims were criminals and they were bad people. And what what about if they had lived? What what would they would have wreaked on society and and all of this, you know? And the haphazard way. There's all of that. Which is so interesting to me because you and I know this in the work that we do, that there's a difference between someone who's more antisocial and someone who has committed crimes due to just going in the wrong direction. Right. And so when we look at someone like Jorge Ramirez Jr., there was a lot of reparation that happened when he was in prison. He had gotten into crystal meth. He'd gotten, he, he was not a this guy was not a sociopath. He was not an antisocial. He wasn't trying to, if anything, not to digress too much, but I really loved the touch of the actors who were hired to do the voiceovers mm -hmm. that read the letters and things. I just think that added like a, a nice little piece to mm -hmm. it. Um, sure. And I, I appreciated that they, they read his, the letters that he wrote to his mother and stuff while she, he, you could tell that there was genuine remorse. He wanted to get back to his family. He wanted to get out of this life. And he probably thought by becoming an informant with the station that that would be his way of giving back. Mm -hmm. And he seemed I, active. In he seemed that. very active. And there wasn't anything about his history that alluded to harming people. He got caught up in doing stupid shit and, and burglary and drug related stuff. But I've interviewed so many of those guys and they're not, these are not sociopaths. These are people who went down the wrong road of crime, but have the ability for self-reflection and their ability to, to get better. They have the will and the motivation to do that. We don't know as much about David Silva. What we know is that he also had an issue with drugs and alcohol. And the time that he was arrested, he wasn't, like you said, he wasn't agitated. He wasn't resisting. He wasn't hostile. So no matter how quote unquote dangerous he may have been, the two aren't mutually exclusive. There's absolutely no reason for eight officers to abuse a human being that way doesn't matter. I mean, even when we go back to the George Floyd thing, the argument is we should never be about what did, what did he do to get arrested? It was the manner in which he was mm -hmm. to me. There's no argument there. Yeah. You know, it feels like a gang. Yes. Cause it is. It's a gang executing a, a beat down. Yeah. There's, you know? there's gangs all throughout the Los Angeles police and sheriff's department. We know this and we know that there's historically for decades, but we're not talking about it. No. And I think that's why this documentary is important in the sense that it isn't something that a lot of documentaries are made of. No. And so we get to have that conversation and I do, I just wonder why, we're not talking about it more. Like I, I honestly wonder why communities 
that are made up of people of color are the only ones screaming and yelling about this and why more documentaries aren't being made about it. More um, exposure isn't happening around it. And I imagine that's political. I imagine that's because that's where the money comes from. I imagine that's where, because the, since the beginning of time, these systems, these government and police systems, and although we need them to, in society to go forward, they're not policed themselves as well as they need to be. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but look at even when Kaepernick who produced this started to, to kneel and make a statement and how much he, people will deny this. This is why he essentially lost his NFL career. Be like, Oh no, he just wasn't a really good football player. Okay, please. There are plenty of people who are, you know, he, he was blacklisted mm-hmm. and because we can't ever prove that there lies the conspiracy, but we know that none of nobody talked about Kaepernick and his ability to play or his inability to play until he started doing this. Mm-hmm. And then we silenced him very conveniently, just slowly, but surely he was pushed out. Yeah. It wasn't this big thing otherwise that would have been too obvious and so I think to answer your question is people know that once something like this is raised you are now going to be the target of animosity and threat and all of these things um this happens even in uh when I've been on cases where we're looking at similar things I've had attorneys on the opposing side trying to defame me and have me thrown out Mm. for saying things that they don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. I've had evaluators send me letters from their attorneys threatening to silence me because we're talking about things that need to be talked about. So there it is, you know, there's a threat. Yeah. When you start to talk. It's the whistleblower idea, only not in an organized fashion. Right. So there's no, there's nothing to protect you. But I mean, I know that Colin has talked about how you know, kneeling for the national anthem, you know, made him, there's stories right now because of this documentary coming out, there's all these stories and he's in the news again. And it's like him talking about how he's never felt freer than when he did that. And then it wasn't about the national anthem as everyone thought about in that moment. And that it was about police brutality and that this has been a piece of his uh, advocacy for quite some time now. And so this documentary is fitting in with that and how we need to talk more about it. And so I'm hopeful that this will continue the conversation. I yeah. mean, we've been having conversations all through COVID about all of the people dying at the hands of police brutality and crossing those lines. And that is not to say that I don't know people on the police force. Sure, I don't, same. I don't know. I do know. I do have compassion for the system that they're Absolutely. working in as well. It's just... Not all police are good. Not all psychologists are good. Not and and if if psychology were to have a massive breakdown in the way our systems are controlled, we would have a lot more acting out in our profession too. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah. And also thinking about we're really only as good as or as strong as our system that's holding us up. So right. even though you have, like I was mentioning earlier, some really great cops out there that I think do 
really great work and are pro absolutely people and animals and all of that they're only as good as their system yeah so so we recommend this documentary i think it's a good one i think it might stand up you know it's the beginning of 2023 but it might stand up as being one of the better ones of this year or at least one of the more important ones agreed so thank you so much for listening to this episode of terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone